Everybody, welcome in. Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Coulter Duana is coming to you here uh, during mid-September. If you haven't noticed here on the Big Sky Breakdown, we've been diversifying our content and, and also trying to give you more entry points with a lot of the same types of contributors. So we've got a new uh, podcast extension with Riley Corcoran, the voice of the Grizz. He'll sit down with us for about 30 minutes each week. He's been contributing on ESPN Radio for several years, talking Grizz, but also other Big Sky stuff. But I want to keep him focused on what he's so good at, and that's the Grizz, and then also maybe some thoughts about the rest of the Big Sky. Also got a new podcast extension with Mike Ryder, who's a former Bobcat football player and coach, and a former TV and radio analyst as well. He's a great guy when it comes to breaking down the X's and O's. It's supposed to be standalone independent podcasts. We'll also have our analysis podcast each week, Ty Gregorak and Brooks Nuanas. And then I also want to have a sort of different version of an analysis podcast with a couple of our fine writers at Skyline Sports. Andrew Houghton, who's covering the Grizz and the rest of the Big Sky for us, and Tom Stuber, who covers the Bobcats and a little bit of the rest of the Big Sky for us as well. So we'll have that podcast for you late in the week, each week here uh, as well. So that'll be fun. Uh, just more episodes is what we're offering you uh, after Big Sky Breakdown. Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Visit goblackfoot.com. Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. As well as uh, the uh, Town Pub for keeping us fueled up all season long. Brawl the Wild by the Mile back for yet another year. Also got to give a shout out to my guy Kevin over there at Westside Private Gym. I've been doing some part personal training, part physical therapy. And it's all about increasing mobility, flexibility, and a functional movement. I think that's what you need as you get older. He told me a great one the other day. He said, movement is increased and enhanced one millimeter at a time. So anytime you can get in, what he, what he calls them is workout snacks. You know, just little little stretches, little movements, little uh, ways of, of getting your body going and moving and flowing and, and uh, reacting and all that stuff. It, it's been great for me. I'm only a couple of weeks into it, but I uh, already really increased my flexibility and mobility. So um, if you want some expert advice in the way that the body functions, check out Westside Private Gym. They have Instagram. They have uh, a variety of uh, different ways to get a hold of them, including on their website as well. Appreciate. Whether you're a sports fan or you run a business, you got to have something to wear. Why not get it branded? Why not represent your favorite sports teams, your favorite high school, your favorite college, your favorite pro team? Why not represent your business when you're out and about your respective communities? Anode Designs can help you out. Anode Designs, our great friend Blake Hempstead, contributor at Skyline Sports. He's the man in charge there at Anode, and they can get you hooked up with everything from Anaconda Copperhead gear to any and every sort of branded gear for your business. Find out more, visit anodesigns.com. You can also find them on Facebook. Anno Designs is located at 421 East Park Avenue in Anaconda. You can find them on Facebook or you can give them a call 406-563-0121. Where we get all our gear from Skyline Sports, Anno Designs in Anaconda. Uh, Andrew Houghton joining us now here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Uh, first of all, most of the time, we don't, it's very rare where it's like a weekend where I'm not sending you either to Washington Grizzly Stadium or somewhere else. You just watch games abroad outside of, and it's funny because on one hand, you and I agree, being at games, covering games, no matter what sport it is, you see stuff that you just don't see when you're not watching. When you just watch on TV though, you also see stuff that you don't see at the stadium and you get to see sort of the TV view and when the teams are away, like Montana and Montana State both were last week, oftentimes you get to see what the vast majority of the other people that you know that are watching are seeing too because they're all watching it on TV. So uh, just give us the lay of the land. What were you doing last week? Uh, you, you took in both games. What, 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 what was your plan? Yeah, I wasn't thinking about this when it was happening, but it was super weird for me to be at home and you to be out on the road. <laughs> totally, especially because it's only week two, right? Yeah, Usually yeah. it's not for a ways down the road that that actually happens. Yeah, but it was it was great. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought you got a chance to really... So I, I watched... Tune in for Montana State, of course, first. Yeah. Kick off at, at 5 p.m. local time, right? Uh, Montana State, South Dakota State. So that was the first one I watched. Kind of switched over to the beginning of the Montana Grizzlies game, dual screen that, caught the wild ending of the Montana State-South Dakota State game sort of as 
Montana was racking up this big first half lead against Utah Tech. Then with Montana taking, what was it, 36-0 lead at halftime, sort of went back to the dual screen and flipped on, I think, Sacramento State for a little while um, and sort of divided my attention between those for a little while. Yeah, it was, I think the biggest thing from watching at home is you get a chance to really put how crazy that South Dakota State-Montana State game was into perspective. Um, just the back and forth, how closely matched they are, how similar they looked on the field. You can pick all of that up when you're in the stadium, but as you know, when you're in the stadium, you have so much else going on. You're trying to live tweet the game. Uh, you're trying to, to stay cognizant of every little stat that's coming up. You're sort of keeping a running dialogue with the people sitting next to you, your colleagues, the SIDs, <laughs> right. et cetera. When you're at home, you're just sitting on your couch. You don't really have any of that, so you you notice different things. Um, you sort of you pick up on different things. Um, so so I really enjoyed that. The um, Big Sky right now has four teams that are off to two and zero starts, then three teams that are one and one, and then five teams that are zero and two. The, the primary factor in that is the scheduling of it all. Like, I don't think you can possibly equate these teams and say Montana is somehow vastly better than an, you know, an Eastern Washington. Although I do think Montana is better than Eastern Washington. I think we've actually learned more about Eastern Washington given the schedule that they've played compared to Montana and the schedule they've played. So there's a grain of salt here. But we're just going to go down the standings, quick hitting, what we know or don't know about the teams in the Big Sky Conference. We'll, we'll start with the team that's got the most hype going. And by the way, I didn't even mention this in my intro we also have a new uh, Idaho Vandals podcast, Vandals Weekly. Andrew contributed on it this week as well. Sometimes we'll have analysis uh, pieces in there, but also uh, we'll always have interviews with head coach Jason Eck of Idaho and then a player uh, each week. And this this week, uh, Keyshawn James Newby, who's a kid who actually grew up in Pocatello, Idaho, then went to high school in Helena, Montana, and started his career at Montana Tech in Butte, and now is playing there for the Vandals. So an interesting fold, an interesting Montana tie there. So stay tuned for that. Vandals Weekly will come out each Wednesday as an extension here uh, on the Big Sky Breakdown. But Nevada, excuse me, Idaho rolled Nevada and uh, uh, 33 to 6. So anytime you have a multiple score victory, FCS over FBS, that's uh, usually pretty impressive, usually something that turns some heads. Um, and, Nevada, and Idaho's sitting there at number five in the country and 2 and 0 right now. And they got Cal on the schedule this week. What do we know about the uh, Idaho? I, I think we've learned more about Idaho than a lot of the other contenders in the Big Sky so far. I think that's right. I think I'd start with what we have confirmed about Idaho, which yeah. is that that offense is going to be pretty, pretty tough to guard. I mean, they put up 42 against Lamar and then 33 against Nevada. They score a 75-yard touchdown on the first play of the game, which if you want to make a statement in your FBS game, that's sort of the way to do it. Uh, Hayden Hatton's off to another great start. So I think we've had that confirmed about Idaho. What we're learning about Idaho is that the defense, I think, is going to be pretty salty, too. I think too. that's right, yeah. Rob Arch, a good defensive coordinator, uh, he was the, uh, I, I can't remember what um, what governing body or what, what organization gave him an award, but he was the, uh, the defensive coordinator of the week at the FCS level this last week for holding Nevada to just six points. That said, if you listen to Vandals Weekly this week, Jason X said, "Hey, you know, we're not getting ahead of ourselves. We're very, we're very happy that we won by multiple scores in Reno, but also, that's why I love Coach Eck. He does not hold punches at all. He said, I am very certain that Nevada is not as good as several of the teams Correct. that we have coming up on our schedule in conference play. So Idaho's not getting ahead of themselves, but it's not just been Hayden Hatton. Hayden Hatton's been at as advertised for sure, but." They talked all offseason about Giovanni McCoy taking the next step. I mean, he was the model of efficiency. He was awesome against Nevada. I mean, he did, he did whatever he wanted. And then the guy that I think has grown the, the most in terms of their stars is Anthony Woods. Yep. He was awesome as a freshman last year as a running back. But as Coach X said Wednesday, he's now awesome as well as just a football player. He had multiple big blocks on that 75-yard touchdown. Those, those highlights sort of blew up Twitter. He's evolved as a pass blocker, a pass catcher. It, 
it's hard to say because he's only in his second year of college football. I, I think that if he puts on 20 more pounds, he's an NFL guy. I do. I think he's that kind of talent. And uh, he's he's been a, 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 a emerging star to go along with their already existing stars. Well, this is what we've been talking about with Idaho for years. I mean, since they've come back to the Big yeah. Sky Conference, right, is they've had the talent coming into that right. program. They always recruited well. Even under Paul Petrino, I mean, they got guys with stars next to their names. For sure. They got guys who looked the part. Oh, yeah. What do you do to turn those players into contributors in the big sky? And I think, like you said, you're seeing it with Anthony Woods, right? I mean, that's a guy who could be playing a level or two higher than this. I think sure. he certainly he could be playing for somebody in the Mountain West. He had that guy, He had that kind of pedigree coming out of high school. Now you're seeing the sort of steady development with him that, that's sort of the hallmark of a good developmental program. We're just going to go through this just in the order that they're listed in the standings right now on the Big Sky website. So that's the that's the determining order here. So Montana, what do we know about Montana? I, I, I am still so, conf, not confused, but so up in the air. Some things I've seen out of Montana, I'm like, wow, this really team's good. good. Yeah, this, could, yeah. this team could be like a 9 or 10 win team. Other things, I'm like, well, if they're getting beat over the top on back shoulder fades by Butler, they're going to be really in trouble when they go to Moscow to try to play Idaho. <laughs> so That's right. so uh, there's still a lot to be determined for for the Grizz. I will say this. The one thing I do know is I think that they're exceptionally good again on special teams, and I think they're better than they were a year ago on special teams because I think Travis Benham is um, – he's in the same conversation as their last two punters. He's very good. And the kicker's way better. Grant Glasgow's way better than than Nico Ramos. Yeah, and that's pick. that's obvious because of the way the depth chart looks. Nico <laughs> Ramos sure. stayed here and lost his job. <laughs> to yeah. a freshman, right? Yeah. Grant Glasgow's got a, a, a banger leg. I mean, he is he has hit some big time, some long field goals already. He's great on kickoffs. So um I think special teams, I think I can definitively say I think that's really good. Uh it will be a, a day when hell freezes over when the Grizz are actually truly bad on defense. So I do think Correct. they're going to be good on defense. Can they be great, though? And how much does being great impact their, their total season? And then on offense, I have no idea. I feel like they have no, they've run nothing, and I think that's out of intention. Yeah, I think the only thing keeping me from saying that we've learned something about them on offense is just the level of competition, right? And yeah. the, what do you take away from this? But I think the one thing that I would say about offense is we've learned the direction that they should be going on offense. Right. And maybe this is a bit of a hot take, but I think over the course of the two weeks, and I wasn't sure about this after week one, and I actually thought about writing a column about how I wasn't sure about this after week one. I think after two weeks, I think we can say they they should just commit to the power run game, to the plus one quarterback power run game with Clifton McDowell. This is the, this is the, the crux. I think this is going to be the crux of the Grizz entire season is that I think in terms of consistent winning in the regular season, going with a plus one run game and running it down people's throats, especially the overmatched opponents is the, the most surefire way for them to pile up a bunch of victories. Can they beat the best teams on their schedule, especially in November and December with that style, that's the biggest question. No, but I didn't think they could anyway. I don't. Right. Th- I don't think there's anything that this year's Grizz team can do. I think they're going to be pretty good. Yeah. I don't think that there's anything that they can do to beat North Dakota State, South Dakota State, or Montana State in November and December. So then the thing. So, that, and so like, then the thing you got to do is just go nine and two and avoid those teams until the semis, right? Right. That's exactly. what you got to try to do is just get home games through the final eight and until you have to go to Fargo or Brookings. And and look, man, all I'm saying is that. When you do have to go to Fargo and Brookings, right? The going with the power plus one quarterback run game at least gives you a chance to control that game a little bit, right? Grind out a bunch of possessions, limit the number of possessions for both teams, and keep it close and have something happen, right? Is that like, am I like too far down on this Montana team? I think they're good. I just think that that's sort of like I wrote this week MSU, SDSU, NDSU are so far ahead of everybody. Yeah. And competing with them is it's gonna be tough. See, I just think that the 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 most potential for Montana is to be Boise State, like Boise State was in the mid to late two thousands when Brent Pease was the OC there and Chris Peterson was there, and they had, you know, balanced yet explosive and creative offenses full of trickery and creativity and and still were really good on defense as well. 
I just think that's the way that they could reach their absolute peak level. Only because I think if you were to like rate their players, I think that some of the most talented players are their offensive skill guys, especially their receivers. I just think you need those guys to play a factor in winning. I differ from you on that. And I agree with you that the yeah. potential is there. I mean, we've written about Aaron Fonts. I wrote about Aaron Fonts last year. Keelan White, yeah. Junior Berg. I mean, Junior Bergen is so electric. And yeah. maybe he's the exception to this. But just like as we keep going on with this, it can't be all about the play calling, right? How many of those guys, how many career 100-yard games do Montana's current receivers have? Like one? Man, Junior yeah. Bergen? Right. Maybe? Maybe. I don't, I don't even know th- if he has I, one. I don't think Fonts got 100 against Indiana State no, last he did year. Not. He had 92. And Bergen didn't have 100 in the opener this year either, even though he scored a 50-plus yard touchdown. He finished with four for 75 because <laughs> yeah. they completely yeah. took him out of the offense I after the first couple they drives. Do. They have had a guy with 100 yards receiving since Samari Torre, like, in 2019. All I'm saying is that you can say it's on the play calling and the scheme as much as you want. At some point, those guys have to show it on the field. If you're just that good, at some point, you're going to have a stat line where you're like, this guy was the best player on the field for an entire game. He put up 120 yards against against whomever, right? You didn't do it against Butler. You didn't do it against Utah Tech. I'm just not there, and I think that Man, they believe, they've been talking up the offensive line so much. If you truly believe that the offensive line is the strength of this team, simplify things for them and let them do what they do best. And I think that this is actually potentially a very good power run game, road grading run offensive line, especially Chris Walker at left tackle, that's still going to have some issues in pass protection. So just... Simplify it, let them do what they do best. Blackfoot Communications continues to lift up our local entrepreneurs, delivering the resources needed to transform ideas into businesses. Our C2M beta program was founded with the mission to connect local entrepreneurs to more. With access to more professional expertise, more state-of-the-art technology, and more development resources, our 12-week program delivers the foundational and modern skills required to transform influential ideas into thriving businesses. Apply today at GoBlackfoot.com slash apply. Andrew Houghton, Big Sky Breakdown here, SkylineSportsMT.com, presented by Blackfoot Communications. All right, how about Sac State? Sac State's been a, a tough read for me. I thought they looked really good early uh, in their opener uh, against Nichols. Not really sure how good Nichols is. Nichols go, went really hard. I mean, they, they ran to the ball and stuff, but, I, you know, most D1 teams do. So I, I, I it was hard to gauge. Then they they had this big lull against Nichols, and they had to pull away late. They played two quarterbacks in that game against Nichols. Last week, though, against Texas A&M Commerce, Carson Camp was not really a, a part yeah. of the game yeah. plan. It was only Caden Bennett. Two quarterback systems are in vogue in college football right now. I don't know. I don't know what to think of Sac State right now, though. I, I, I think that they're uh, pretty good, but uh, it's hard to tell just based on their opponents. Yeah, I think we've learned, like you said, the direction they're going to be going at quarterback. I think they're probably all in behind Caden Bennett. I learned from watching Caden Bennett against Texas A&M Commerce this week, He's he's got the juice, man. He's one of the top athletes, especially at quarterback, in the conference. I mean, he, can, also he have, can run. He also has a, a, a level of trust with those guys. I didn't realize this until I was watching that a little bit of that game. Because uh, they mentioned he's from Folsom High School. Yes, I hadn't realized that he's a Nevada transfer, and I knew he was from the area. But Folsom High School is the tie of the binds. That's where yep. Troy Taylor was. That's where Chris Richardson, who's their offensive coordinator now at Sac State, that's where he was. If you're not familiar with Folsom, Folsom like Folsom got this like cult following for a little while when it comes to people covering high school football because they were scoring like seriously 80 points a game. I mean, they had multiple quarterbacks that had like. 70, 80-plus total touchdowns. Caden Bennett's the latest one of those guys, though. So that, I think that familiarity helps, though, because it's so tenuous the way quarterbacks improve or don't improve throughout the scope of a season. But I do think guys that have trust and continuity within the staff, they have a better chance of improving. Yeah. And, I, and he's got great tools. Like and he's saying. been there for multiple years right, also. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be – I think that would have given an advantage over Carson Camp, who came in this offseason season. Anyway, right. Um, I think that they like sort of like Montana. They were planning to give the two quarterback system a real shot there, and and Caden Bennett just sort of um, took the job. So I think that's good. I think for both Sac State and the team we're about to talk about next, Weber. I just learned that they're going to be fine. 
they're not going to fall off a cliff with the head coach having departed. Um, and that's sort of what I was looking at. Do I know how good in the end Sac State is going to be? No, I don't. I don't know whether they're going to finish up towards the top of this group behind Montana State that we like to talk about in the Big Sky Conference, whether they're going to be a candidate for a seed or whether they're going to be a team that's that's seven and four and maybe sneaking into the playoffs or on the playoff bubble. But I think I learned that that they're going to be fine and they're going to be in contention for that in a worst-case scenario. We'll learn more about Sac State next week when they open up conference play uh, in Moscow. But they got Stanford this week and uh, a rare situation where you get to play your former head coach his first year at his new job. Sam Herter, Hero Sports, said on Nuanas Dow earlier this week that he thinks uh, the uh, the Cardinals should be on upset alert. Could Sac State go into Stanford and Absolutely. get a win? You think so? Stanford's a mess. Totally. I mean, they're they're a, a dog with no kennel. They don't have a home. They're trying to figure it all out. And uh, I think that the whole athletic department has it figured out from what they want, and that's to not go anywhere. But the football team sort of caught in a wash, and they just – they have fallen down in terms of talent and production the last couple of years. So that it'd be, it's an interesting game. Interesting game for sure. Yeah, Stanford lost 56-10 to 10 to USC last week. And yeah. I know USC is really good, but right. Stanford didn't look like they had anything right. in that game. Uh, the fourth and final 2-0 team in the Big Sky Conference is Weber State. Weber looked uh, a little clunky and disjointed in the first half against Central Washington and then looked exceptionally well against Central in the second half. I know Central is just a D2 team, but I thought they executed really sharply and looked really good in all phases. And then last week I thought, honestly, Idaho winning at Nevada is the one that got all the headlines because it's a win over an FBS. I thought Weber had the best win of the week last week. I, I just think that uh, – I'm not saying that Northern Iowa is better than Idaho or that is better than Nevada. I just think it's a, it's a tougher road win to get especially just kind of given the scope of your season under a first-year head coach in Mickey Mental. It's a great road win. Uh, we always know, uh, I guess I would say it's a great road road win, especially the way that Weber State did it, right? Yeah. Because we know that Northern Iowa is always going to be tough. They're going to be well-coached, especially at home, and that's exactly what played out in the first half, right? I think it was 17-17 at halftime, kind of like they did in the first week. Weber State able to make some adjustments at halftime. And maybe that's Mickey Mantle's style is feel him out in the first half and then just, just and, dominate the second half. And he's got a good enough team to hang doing that because, of course, right. the danger with that strategy is you fall behind two touchdowns in the first half and then the other team's able to control it. They've got a good enough team still to hang in there on talent with a lot of teams in the country and then be able to make those adjustments at halftime. When you got elite players like Weaver's got, it takes you pretty far. I mean, the Atagi brothers are two of the best offensive linemen in the conference. Winston Reed might be the best defensive player in the conference. Damon Bankston, kind of a breakout game this I mean, last and, week. And that's no surprise, you know, because that's been the thing. Jay Hill actually went to the, the running back by committee even earlier than that became a trend at pretty much all levels of football. So they never really – I mean, Josh Davis was the one guy who could be considered kind of like a feature back. But he never really got a chance to be a feature back because he would always be hurt. Other than that, they've been splitting carries with a million different guys. But all of them that would ever get in a game, you're like, well, that guy's pretty good. good. That guy's pretty good. That guy's pretty good. Well, now Bankston's getting his chance to kind of take center stage. I think it just shows just how well Jay Hill recruited and how flush the cupboards were when Mickey Mantle took over. I think that's right, and I think that you're absolutely right. What we learned is that this is not going to be the year that Weber State's going to fall off. Cal Poly sits at 1-1. One and one. I don't know squadoosh about Cal Poly. They beat a San Diego team that had everybody suspended, and then they got destroyed by San Jose State, who I thought was going to be not very good this year. They still not be, might not be very good, but 59-3, uh, not great. Cal Poly does have a, another winnable game, though, uh, this week, and, and they could take a winning record into Big Sky Conference play where, where then they'll have a, a t- tough time searching for wins. But they play Lincoln who's an NAIA school. Any, I mean, any thoughts on Cal Poly? They're the one team I haven't really looked at that much. No, just that the rebuild is going to be a lengthy one, right? I think there was there was cause for optimism coming out of that week one game, but the, the Pioneer Football League has been awful this year, and, and San Diego didn't really put up a fight against them. I would have liked to see a lot more from them against San Jose State. Not, not to win the game, but, I mean, Sam Heward goes 11 of 17 for 66 yards. Uh, you run the ball for less than three yards a carry. Um, you get 59 points scored on you. For a team like this, you want to see progress in at least one area from year to year. 
You want to have something that you can hang your hat on first before you actually become a good football team. We thought that might be Sam Hewitt in the passing game after week one. Then he throws for 66 yards in week two, no touchdowns, one pick. It's going to be a long road back. Speaking of the Pioneer Football League, Stetson is in Bozeman this week. Stetson's a Pioneer Football League team from uh, Florida. I doubt there's anybody out there listening to this that was really craving some Stetson coverage, but we're not getting it this week. I emailed everybody. I emailed a bunch of people in our athletic department. They said, we're just not going to be able to get this together. We're really stressed out trying to come across the country. The two deep that they sent had no heights or weights on it. Half the numbers were wrong. Uh, These guys, you know, I mean, they are so facing an uphill battle in Bozeman. They're 48 and a half point favorites. And I think they're going to have a hard time covering. They, <laughs> I don't know if the reason that they're staying in Helena is because they couldn't afford Bozeman or because they don't know where Bozeman's at, but they're staying in Helena, not Livingston, not three forks, not Butte, Helena. It's completely nonsensical. <laughs> I mean, on a bus, Helena's like almost two hours away. Yeah, from that's Bozeman. a trek, I man. don't really know what, what's going on. So the point is, if you're wondering why there's no Stetson coverage, I know no one was, but if you're wondering why, it, it's because these guys just they're they're not quite a division one operation or even a division two operation at this point. Maybe they're trying to get a little taste of the real Montana, right? You get a sure, little two yeah. hour bus ride, yeah, get sure. to see a little bit of the real sure. Montana out the sure. windows as opposed to flying into Bozeman and then flying out. And, you know, when the hotel rooms are five hundred dollars a night in Bozeman, Goodness. I could understand why you're trying to stay somewhere else. But uh, I just maybe they missed the part where you could stay in Livingston, fifteen minutes away instead of. You know, an hour and 45 away in the capital city, Uh, which leads us to Montana State. I think we learned a lot about Montana State last week. I I think that on the plus side, their defense is better. Um, I think that they certainly have made strides in the areas that they talked about making strides in, you know, getting bigger and stronger and being able to hang in the trenches. I think they did that against South Dakota State. I also think that they, for as prolific and good as they've been offensively, especially in the run game, I think they got to find some form of fluidity in their, their offense. The first two games, until Tommy Malak got hurt, is very clear that Malak's the quarterback between yep. the 20s and Chambers yep. is the red zone quarterback. I think that makes you predictable. I also think it takes some stuff away. I, Chambers is so good in the red zone. He's such a great red zone quarterback. So is Malak. Yep. And Malak is better at the play action and the ball skills, and he's better at throwing. So I don't know, man. I know it's a very unpopular opinion. I love Sean Chambers. I think he's an excellent leader. I think you got to find a role for him in the offense for sure. I think – if Malat can get back healthy, though, more Tommy Malat is better. Getting Tommy Malat into a, a rhythm and letting him be the guy with controls, I think that's how you become a more balanced offense. I mean, it th- I think it looked like they were on the way to doing that when Tommy Malat was in the game, right? I think that I think the it most looked confu- like the most confusing part is when you watch Malat, he's not like these other running quarterbacks Correct. where you think you can't he can't throw. He'll make a throw, and you're like. He can definitely throw. But I think that's where he's taken a step up this year. No, for sure. I think that's different from last year. No, for sure. But but there's a lot of running quarterbacks that throw like some pretty hilariously bad for balls. Sure. He looks like a great quarterback when he's on the run throwing the ball. Agree with that. Uh, yeah, we haven't really gotten a chance to, to learn whether they can diversify the offense, right? Because right. A, a, the wide receivers have been out. Lanyata Alexander's been out, right? Ty McCullough's been out. That's right. Taco uh, Dollar's been out. Now Tommy Mallott is potentially out. Tommy Mallott's out this week. I can almost guarantee you okay. that. They're, I mean, right, right. Why they're would not going to play him you? against Stetson. Just sit over there with the red hat on and ice your ankle, buddy. That's what they're going to do, I think. That's absolutely right. So, uh, you know, I think everything that you said about Montana State is correct. We're still Jury's still kind of out on what's probably the most important question for their offense. Which is just whether they can whether have they can add passing diversity. Games. Yeah, yeah. Um, not e- not even just just straight passing, but whether they can add diversity in the pass game. Right? Can can they attack you at all three levels in the pass game, or is it just a case of taking deep shots? Six Eight Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. We've done so much about the Cats already this weekend. More coming up with Tom Stuber, uh, about twenty five minutes worth from Tom and his experience in Brookings and all the things he saw firsthand there. Uh, but MSU, I think they just got to they got to figure out a way to not let last week's loss linger whatsoever. They just got to flush it, move forward, and uh, still believe that they're one of the best teams in the country because I thought they showed that despite the fact that they let one slip away in Brookings. UC Davis is sitting there at one and one, pounded an overmatched Texas A&M Commerce team, got pounded by a team that I actually think could be one of the one of the, pretty good. one of the dark horses in in the FBS. Oregon State's good, man. And, and Oregon State's going to have a chance to prove it because in the in the sickest irony, 
right now the Pac-12, three-quarters of the Pac-12 is in the top 25. It's the best it's ever been. Everybody's in the top 25 right now in the Pac-12. And Oregon State might be one of the best teams in the Pac-12. So I don't really know what you could take out of the the, the Davis game. I don't really – I thought Davis looked really good in the opener. And I just don't – but I just don't think Texas A&M Commerce is fully D1 quality yet. No, I think that's right. I, I've kind of – I kind of got Davis exactly where I had him going into yeah. the start of the season, which is I think they're if they win a game, they if they win a big game, they could be a playoff team, right? I think certainly they're a playoff caliber team, yeah. and I don't know how the schedule is going to shake out for them. They just I had need them to, at, they need to beat another playoff quality team exactly, and I think they're fully capable of it. I had them sort of at the bottom of that group of contenders, as sort of the fifth or sixth best team in the conference going into the season. Yep. Haven't really seen a reason to change that. Well, here's here, UC Davis's season. They play Southern Utah this week. Then they got Eastern Washington at home at Cal Poly, and then their season's going to be defined the first two weeks of October. They got Montana coming to town, and then they play in Ogden against Weaver State. Then they're at Northern Arizona, Portland State at home, at Idaho State, and then Sac State. So they got three big games against the other playoff contenders. Two of them are in Davis with the Grizz and Sac State coming to town. So I think it's TBD. We're going to find out more about uh, UC Davis. Uh, later on down the line. Eastern Washington, is Eastern the one team that maybe is a little bit of a surprise? Take a little bit of a jump. They're 0-2. They lost to North Dakota State 35-10, but then they went to double overtime with Fresno State and lost 34-31. Part of that is a referendum on uh, Fresno. I I do think that the middle to bottom half of the Mountain West is not very good this year. Um, But, I mean, it was a good effort by Eastern Washington. Maybe they're a little bit better than advertised. I'm not sure. What do you think? Uh, no, I think that's exactly right, and um, you know, I al- honestly almost take more away from the NDSU game, right? Because we know exactly what NDSU is, and, and maybe they're a step down this year. They're a team that can win the national championship. They all they always are. They are again this year for sure. Uh, I think it's so funny too. Like Sam Herder was talking about on Nuanas now the other day. They they have been the team that overshadowed everything and everybody. So now that there's another couple teams to talk about. Nobody's talking about NDSU. Correct. They're still NDSU. And even if they're not as good as 2016 NDSU, they're still better than pretty much everybody else. Yeah, do not lose sight of the fact that <laughs> NDSU can absolutely win the national championship this year. No doubt. And every year. Yes. They're going to be in the semifinals. Right, exactly. And if the semifinals are in Fargo, they're going to be in the national championship because nobody goes into Fargo and wins. That's exactly right. And uh, so talking back to, to Eastern Washington, you didn't, win that game and the final score wasn't particularly competitive but you know Kakoa Vispras throws for over 250 yards he's looked pretty good he's looked pretty good and that's what Eastern Washington I mean if he is good Eastern Washington's going to be a tough team for for anybody right yeah uh okay moving on we're just going to go through these ones quickly because there's not much to say about these but Idaho State looked relatively competitive against San Diego State. I think they had a big-time element of surprise with a first-year head coach against SDSU. And then the surprise went away, and they lost by 50 last week to Idaho State. Gave up 78. To Utah State. Or Utah State. Excuse me. Idaho State loses to Utah State. 78-28. to Woof. Woof. Well, they got 44 points scored against them in the second quarter. Oh, man. Like that, shouldn't that sounds even, impossible. That shouldn't even happen, right? There shouldn't even be enough possessions for that to happen. That's correct, but that goes back to what we've learned about Idaho State this year. They're going to throw it a ton. I think they threw it over 60 times That's in the all opener. They, they threw it 53 more times against Utah State. That's how you get 78 points scored on you because you have a philosophy. You're going to stick to it even when the other team's running up the score and you're going three and out and giving the ball back to them with 20 seconds off the clock every time because you threw it three times. Uh, I actually think that's good for Idaho State. I've said this the entire time. They need to lean into the identity of we play in a dome. We can get sweet skill players. We can get a quarterback who can sling it every year. We're going to try to score a bunch of points. That's what Cody Hawkins wants to do, clearly. Mm -hmm. Not sure if they have the pieces to do it, but look, I mean as much as that Utah State game was clearly not competitive, and as much as they threw it 53 times, still had 320 yards passing in that game. They actually had 28 first downs in that game, okay, which is more than Utah State had because yeah. Utah State was scoring 50-yard touchdowns every time. Right. But still, uh, maybe there's something there. And it, it, for me, it's an encouraging thing to see Idaho State at least pick an identity, pick an identity. and lean into it. Yeah. Northern Arizona – 
We don't know squadoosh about them either. They lost 38-3 to at Arizona, and then they lost to a pretty good North Dakota team, 37-22. North Dakota's low-key good uh, this they year. Are, no, they're, they're high-key good because they're, they're, they've always been good defensively under Bubba Schrager, but now they're good on offense too. And playing indoors, that can help you quite a bit. They're also riding the momentum of the funding that those schools are getting. But Utah, excuse me, Northern Arizona's uh, season will be defined over the next month. They got Utah Tech and Flagstaff, Montana and Flag, and they're at Sac State and they're at Weber State. The worst case scenario there is that you you go zero and four. Over. They're not gonna. I don't think they're gonna lose to Utah Tech, but if they do, it's a uh, you know you sound the alarm. That's not because Utah Tech's not very good. But you know, let's say you assume you beat Utah Tech. If you can knock the Grizz off and Flag, and be competitive in the road games, now all of a sudden maybe you, you could be a middle of the league team. Uh, but I don't know. We're, we're going to find out a lot about NAU uh, in these next couple weeks. Northern Colorado's took it on the chin. The first two weeks, they lost 31-11 to Abilene Christian and then 42-7 to to Incarnate Word. And uh, then Portland State. Of these bottom teams, actually, I thought, I mean, Portland State suffered the most humiliating loss week one, 81-7 to at Oregon. Yep. Even though you lose in Laramie, I thought they made big strides. 31-17 to a pretty good Wyoming team. They ran a trick play down into the goal, down into the red zone, and uh, then they ended up just going four downs and out instead of taking any sort of points. So even if you just take the points there, you lose 31-20. Uh, if you get a touchdown there, it's only a one-score game. You know, woulda, coulda, shoulda, whatever. Going from giving up 81 to giving up 31 and, and uh, only losing by two scores, I thought was progress, and I thought you saw some some highlights there of Dante Sachere looking like he belonged on the field at least against the Mountain West defense. So I don't know. I know that that Portland State has the the largest margin of defeat so far in the league, but I actually think that Portland State, as as we already thought coming into the year, is is better than some of those other you know, sort of bottom half teams. Yeah, I don't think they should be in the conversation with those teams. We'll we'll see. I mean, again, it's one where we'll learn a lot about them the first couple weeks of conference play. Yeah. They're playing North American College. You had some something on Twitter about this team to finish up the non-conference. I don't even know any – this is like the craziest, weirdest thing that I've found on Twitter. This, this uh, school, they their campus is in an old Holiday Inn next to the Houston airport – it's in a hotel. They've already lost their first two games, North American has, 115-24, to 24, and those are against other NAIA schools. Yeah, yeah. So they're playing a Division One team. I mean, th- this is what their school is. It's a holiday. I, no, I saw it on Twitter. I don't know how don't you know. have a football I, team I, I, I when that's know. your campus. I don't know. I don't know why you, you I don't know why you would have a football team if that's your campus. But. That's right. So we're not getting anything out of Portland State in that game, but then they open up Cal Poly, Montana State, Northern Arizona, yep. Idaho State, Eastern Washington. So I mean they got several games that they'll be in the mix at least to win. Outside of that Montana State game. They should be in contention in all of those other first five games, and they should be favored against all of those teams except Montana State and maybe Eastern Washington. I still think they're on the same tier as Eastern Washington. Um, I still think Dante Shashere is good, um, but there's there's nothing that we'll be able to tell about this team, I mean, even until maybe that Northern Arizona game on October 14th because I think they're going to smash Cal Poly. That one's at home, and then I don't think they're going to have anything for Montana State. That one's in Bozeman. Um, so October 14th at Northern Arizona, I, I would expect them to win that game. Interesting game. We will have more of this with conference play on the horizon next week. Andrew Houghton here uh, on the Big Sky Breakdown, SkylineSportsMT.com. Tom Stuber, our uh, beat writer for the Montana State side of things, joins us right after this. Appreciate you for listening, and thanks so much for our great sponsors, including Town Pump. They got us. I think about 6,400 total miles between round trip to Brookings and round trip to the Grand Canyon and then St. George, Utah. So uh, Town Pump keeping us fueled up uh, all season long. Join Town Pump's Pump It Up Rewards Plus program and never pay full price for fuel again. Save five cents on every gallon every day at any Town Pump across Montana. Plus earn and redeem points on your favorite in-store items to get free stuff with our clubs. Stop in and pick up a rewards card. Download the Pump It Up Rewards Plus app today. Or visit townpump.com slash rewards to register and start saving. Right down the road. Pump it up. Oh, yeah. Well, no rest for the weary. 
College football is certainly relentless. I always remind myself, I'm not wearing pads or going to practice or anything like that. But the travel schedule can sometimes uh, get a little challenging. But here we are, and uh, we got home games back in Montana this weekend. Uh, the Grizz, they host Ferris State, uh, two-time defending Division II national champs. And uh, the Bobcats, they hold, host Stetson, a non-scholarship team out of Florida uh, that's part of the Pioneer Football League. Last week, though, I guess the last two weeks, the conversation has been dominated by the lead-up to and then the result of Montana State at South Dakota State, two of the top three teams in the country, and the game lived up to the billing. It was a, a instant classic, uh, a couple heavyweights leaning on each other, maybe not the offensive fireworks that a lot of the experts, including myself, sort of predicted, but still uh, a really good one that came all the way down the wire and then one of the craziest finishes uh, I've ever seen. I was happy that we were able to send uh, at least one reporter out there uh, to Brookings, and that man was Tom Stuber, and I appreciate him for uh, trudging through and, and making the long drive to and from. Uh, so now we get stories from the road with Mr. Stuber. Tom, thanks for joining us, man. How you doing? Oh, great, and uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was definitely memorable for me for for several reasons, and I won't bore everybody with the specifics of my drive out and my drive back but yeah that game was uh it was remarkable in just a lot of different ways i mean it was sloppy in ways but then along with the sloppiness you had some great plays by great players and great moments and yeah i mean uh it was something else it was really enjoyable it's probably out of the bobcat games i've seen it's definitely in the top five you know it was really a, a fun entertaining game to say the least it's interesting because I was thinking about some of the best Bobcat games I've covered, and uh, you tweeted about a couple of them, and I think we're on the same page on several of them. But it's funny because Montana State, they had this this trend going for several years where their most entertaining games were these crazy high-scoring games, whether it was the, you know the South Dakota State game in the playoffs that ended up like 49-42 where Zach Zenner had like 10,000 yards, <laughs> both rushing <laughs> and receiving, or you know those classic Eastern games. There was like a 52-51. There was a 55-50. We've seen some crazy shootouts. This one, though, this was the exact opposite. This was not a shootout at all. No, not at all. And, uh, yeah, it was like, yeah, like you said, uh, all the experts said high-scoring game, and it wasn't. But even though it wasn't, it was just as intense as, as any other uh, game that they've been involved in like that. So, yeah, it was something else for sure. Well, on the way out there, so where do you go when you drive out there? You go Billings and then and then on through, or what What route do you take? Yeah, you go to Billings, down to Hard, and then about 10 miles past Hard, and you hit Crow Agency, and you take a left and drive by the Custer Battlefield, and then you go through Busby, uh, Lame Deer, and Broadus, and Alzada, and then you get out of Montana finally, and you're in South Dakota at Belfouche. And then you drop down to Rapid City, and then it's a straight shot on the interstate out to the turnoff for Brookings, which I didn't realize. I thought Brookings was like 10 miles off the interstate. It's another 52 miles or something. So anyhow, 937 miles. Amazing. <laughs> I, I've been through the Crow Agency part of things, but and then uh, I've been through South Dakota, but never through that part with Lame Deer and Broadus and stuff like that. So uh, some famed reservation towns, certainly some uh, great Native American basketball yeah. players have come uh, from those places. Um, oh, yeah. When it comes to the actual contest, though, I guess let's start with the end and then we'll get to how we got to the end. On TV, they played the replay ad nauseum. It was really, really hard to see the last couple plays, specifically the, the second-to-last play when Sean Chambers hit Cleavon Thomas in the back of the end zone for what looked like a walk-off touchdown. Uh, but then the, you know, the, the replay I thought was non-definitive which I actually thought should indicate that the play should not be overturned. Usually you have to have definitive evidence to overturn the call on the field, and the call on the field was a touchdown. I actually don't think it was a touchdown, but I do think that the refs just called it wrong. I thought that they needed to either say uh, that he didn't have possession or that he was out. They didn't really say. They just said pass was incomplete, calls overturned. What was your view from the press box? I mean, how could you see it, and what did you think of just the way that that all played out? Well, yeah, the press box is a – up there and a long ways away. I mean, the advantage you have is you're up in the air, so you can see down a little bit. But, I mean, when the play ran, uh, I thought incomplete. I thought he was out of the end zone. The referee, though, signals touchdown. So I'm like, well, they're going to review it and overturn it. And uh, so they, they roll the tape and review it. And this this is kind of a funny story more than anything. But so they, they, they are getting ready to show the tape. And before they show the tape, the uh, statisticians for SDSU are, are in the press box, as you know. 
And uh, they're all like, they're all like, oh, it's out of bounds, out of bounds, incomplete. You know, he was out of bounds. And, and I was like, oh, okay, that's what I think too. And then, and they all chimed in together. One guy said it and the rest of them chimed in. And then they show the replay and you can see his uh, foot down and the ball in his hands, you know? So it's like, well, it's not out of bounds. So right away, one of them goes, oh, he's bobbling it, he's bobbling it. And then they all chime in, yeah, he's bobbling it, he's bobbling it. You know, and I'm just kind of going, am I watching the South Park here or what's going on? <laughs> this big group, you know, this big mob mentality thing going on. But anyway, yeah, no, I couldn't tell. And I thought, you know, it was going to be ruled incomplete until I watched the replay. And I was like, you know, but I didn't have a really good look at the replay. So I was kind of looking like maybe they're going to give it to him. But the the other funny thing that happens is the ref comes out to explain what happened. Right. You know, the thing that's on everybody's mind is, is it a touchdown or not? And what's he say? Uh, please put one second back on the clock and then get this. He says, and also <laughs> the pass is incomplete. <laughs> Unbelievable. Like, and also like, like we don't really care about the touchdown. The important thing is one second. And oh, by the way, uh, it's an incomplete pass. You know, and I'm just kind of going, is he like scared or something or what? You know, but uh, so I, you know, I got a kick out of some of that. But but anyway, yeah, I mean, I you know, I'm like you. I I they ruled it a touchdown, and you show the replay, and I've yet to see a replay that shows him bobbling the ball. I saw a still picture of the ball in his hands and his you know his toe inbounds. So I'm like, so he's not. He's not out of bounds that way, but if he bobbles it, you know, he's definitely out of bounds. If he bobbles it even a smidgen, he's out of bounds. His toe was only down on the ground for a split second, so he doesn't have any room for air there. It had to hit his hands and stick for it to be a touchdown. And, I, you know, again, I haven't seen a replay, so, I mean, but I want to know. You know, I'm just excited about it because I want to know, was it a catch or not? And I think Cleve Ann Thomas is the only person in the world that knows whether it's a catch or not, <laughs> you know. He's the only one that knows for sure because he was the, the man on the play. So and, until we ask him, I mean, that's going to be our best evidence. But, I mean, he's got reason to not tell the truth on that too. So you never know, I guess. Yeah, it was a crazy way that it all played out. The way that the ref called it was so funny and and so, like, yeah. incorrect according to procedure. What the call should have been was the ruling on the field has been overturned. The receiver was bobbling the ball on his way out of bounds and or the receiver did not have full possession of the ball when his feet hit the back of the end zone, one second yep. remains on the clock. And then if they would have yep. called it and said the play would have stood, I thought you could have had another challenge from maybe the South Dakota State side where they then reviewed if Sean Chambers was over the line of scrimmage or not. Then you could make that call oh, yeah. one way or the other. Either way, I guess we're both on the same page here. I don't think the refs made yeah. the incorrect call. I think that they just called the call that they made incorrectly. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah, I can go with that too. <laughs> well, let's talk about how they got to this point then. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, there was only I watched most of this game. I watched the whole first two and a half quarters, and then I watched the whole fourth quarter. But I missed a little bit of the third quarter and like the very beginning of the fourth quarter. I was just running around in St. George getting all my stuff set up. Um, so I, 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 I and I, I have watched the replay of the first half so far, but I haven't gotten through the film of the second half yet. So when did Tommy Malott actually get? knocked out of the game and was there anything that you actually saw there because I, I from my viewing experience he was in and then he was out and I never actually saw what happened to him okay yeah what I saw is he got it was in the third quarter pretty early in the third quarter he rolled out the pass he threw a pass he got hit and it was a personal foul and uh he left the game at that point and but then he came back in. But when he came back in, I'm pretty sure he was he had a little hitch in his get along. And then he I think he stayed in for a play or he went to line up for a play or something. But he was really limping then, and you could see, you know, you could see him reaching him down. And I think he was kind of grabbing his knee or part of his leg somewhere in there. So, so yeah, it was on probably MSU's first possession of the second half. And if you watch, and you can just barely see the hit because. Uh, camera follows the ball and he gets hit and then he's just off the off the camera so you can't really see him getting up and limping around or anything right away but then he goes off the field comes back on and I think he's limping a little bit when he comes back on he lines up out of receiver and uh, he looked like he made a little plant or something when he was uh, you know uh, running a route or something and then he and then you can see him limping so he could have gotten hurt while he was lined up out there and made this little cut, but I just I, I'm guessing it, it happened when he got hit by the defender there on that uh, previous play when he was on the field. So, 
Well, part of the glory of building a business comes from leaving a legacy to ensure your business continues thriving into the future. Have you asked yourself lately, what is your plan? Forming a personalized business succession plan is essential to know the passion you put into your business will carry on. Nick Tabor at Westpac Wealth is here to help you navigate all your business succession and retirement planning needs. Give Nick a call at 728-6699 and keep the spirit of possibility vibrant while making your future more tax efficient with a personalized business succession and retirement plan for you. And the way Montana State's been operating this year, last year they had this this plan to do this two-quarterback system and they'd play them on the field sometimes. But then for the whole meat of the season, both Malat and Chambers weren't necessarily available at the same time. Like Malat got knocked out against Easter and then it was Chambers' show for a couple weeks. Then Chambers gets hurt, Tommy comes back, it's his show for a couple weeks, and they kind of just went back and forth and uh, there wasn't as much sort of splitting reps and then this year, you know, at least only you know the first game and a half, it was pretty clear to me that Malat's the guy when they're you know in between the twenties, and then Chambers is the guy when they're in the red zone. I get why they're doing it. Chambers is certainly their best short yardage guy, and he's also uh, you know just such a stout, powerful runner, and he's a touchdown machine. But I also wonder if that makes you a little bit too predictable. But either way, I thought uh, when Tommy Malat went out. You could see that there wasn't that much in the playbook for specifically Deshaun Chambers. They they have a red zone offense for him for sure, but I thought their play calling was very limited. I know there's been a lot of scuttle. A lot of people have been asking me on social media. I know there's a lot of talk on on the message board as well. You know what was up with the play calling? Why are we seeing so few running backs getting the ball? Why is the passing game so limited? I think part of it's just that they had a game plan in place for. Malat in certain situations, Chambers in certain situations, then you lose one of those guys, and I just I think it limits you quite a bit. So, I mean, what did you think of just the, the way that they operated after Malat wasn't available? Okay, well, um, I'm going to go back a little bit because, you know, MSU in their first game against Utah Tech came out, and I was like, perfect opportunity, perfect team for the offense to work on, you know, the pass game. You know, probably going to beat this team, so why not pass it a lot? They go out and they only threw 22 passes. And I'm like, okay, or 20 passes. And I'm like, okay, um, you know, probably don't want to show anything to South Dakota State. So I'm like, okay. And then they go play South Dakota State and they didn't have anything. You know, they had nothing. And I'm like, well, if you have, if your, if your plan was already to run the ball against South Dakota State, then why weren't you passing it more against Utah Tech and working on that? I mean, it's like a scrimmage, basically. So that's where I'm kind of confused. I'm like, you know, and MSU had two uh, situations a year ago against Moorhead and McNeese where they could have, you know, you know, maybe not so much McNeese, but Moorhead, they blew them out. It was like, you know, this is where you need work. It's kind of like, I don't know if you remember when Magic Johnson played, but when he was playing, he was like a 72% free throw shooter for the first six, seven years of his career. And he said, you know, I got to work on that. So he worked on that all summer. He comes out the next year and the rest of his career, he's a 90% shooter. But it's kind of like, you know, no matter how good you are, and he was the best player in the world, he's looking for ways to get better. And I'm just kind of going, I don't know what's going on now with MSU, you know, because, you know, that that run game is, is really good. But like I said, the previous time I was on with you, all the coaches that, are going to play MSU this year. They all watched the good teams, for sure. especially South Dakota State held. I'm saying held MSU to 200 yards because MSU is not a 200 yard, 4.4 yard per carry team. They're a 300, 350 yard, 6.2 yards per carry team. And when you hold them to 4.4 and 200, you got a chance to beat them. You know, that's a team you can beat because why? Because they aren't a threat passing the ball. When you hold them down to when you drop a team from 350 to 200, they got to pick it up somewhere else, and they, you know, showed no ability really to do that until the last drive, which is like good news because on the last drive, they threw the ball well. They did <laughs> you know, right. Chambers in a minute and a half. The last thing in the world I thought MSU was going to do was drive down and have a chance to score. I'm being honest with you. I didn't think they had any chance of driving down the field. You know, because they had to pass the ball, and this is what I've been saying. Like, what's MSU going to do when they have to pass the ball late in the game? And all they've got is this run game. So, but they get out there, and Chambers shows everybody, you know, we can do this. I think he was 0 for 4 going into the drive, went 3 for 5, and one of his passes was a dropped pass, you know, by uh, Jacob Trimble. So, you know, 
they're capable of doing this. They they did it in one of the most adverse situations they're ever going to get in. So why not maybe expand on that a little bit? It's like the eternal question for, for this version of the Bobcats, because when they get it rolling, especially when they're playing overmatched opponents, I mean, they could just run for yards and just gobs. I mean, that opening game, they couldn't even run out the clock effectively because uh, Utah Tech couldn't couldn't tackle them. And so, I mean, they were up 49-10. I think they wanted to just call it a day, and then they scored two more long touchdowns after that because the run game's just so good. That's the plus of it all. But then I think that they, they fall into then, like you're saying, they don't necessarily work on downfield passing when they, when they have the run game rolling. And so it's almost as if the run game's too good for them to ever have the opportunity to develop a passing game. And and now, I don't know, I mean, I guess maybe Weber State offers some resistance, but they're not going to get any resistance this week either. So I, I don't I don't really know. They've, they've touted this improvements in the passing game all offseason. We haven't seen it yet, and I don't know when it's going to get a chance to be on full display because the only way it's going to get a chance to be on full display is if somebody stuffs their run game like South Dakota State did. But still, it's like you said, it's not even getting stuffed. It's still 200-plus yards on the ground. So it's quite a conundrum for Montana State because I do think that I think they can get as far as they've gotten the last four years with just being a power run team one-dimensional. They, they can be a Final Four team in the FCS all day like that. But I think the only way they can get over the top is to have a functional passing game. I mean, that, that's been the difference. North Dakota State, South Dakota State are the only two teams that have won national championships over the last 12 years. I guess James Madison was in there one year when they won it in 2016. But all three of those, there's only been three national champions since 2011 in the FCS. And all three of them right. had great run games. All three of them had stout run defenses. And those, especially the Dakota schools, that's the thing that they are sort of known for. But right. the thing that put them over the top is, you know, Brock Jensen and Carson Wentz and Easton Stick and Trey Lance at North Dakota State. The thing that's put South Dakota State over the top is Mark Rodowski, the kid that they got playing quarterback right now. So I, I don't know. I, I just think that Montana State has to figure out a way to show that they can throw the ball in game situations even if the, it means you know taking your foot off the gas when it comes to the run game. Yeah, and the only thing that I think can compensate for that, you know, comparing this year to last year and I, I mentioned it last time is like, you know, I, I said before the season like MSU needs to improve on its pass game and it needs to get better on defense. But I'm like I, they're better off getting better on defense. You know, I mean, I think it's easier for them to get better at passing That's the ball, right. but they'd be way better off getting them better on defense. So this game, in my mind, the way the defense played, I'm like, if the defense plays like this, sands the last two plays of the game, if they play like that all year, you know, they'll they'll win the rest of their games. If the defense shows up like they did against South Dakota State for the rest of the season, which is hard to do because teams adjust to you, but whatever they showed in that game, if that sticks, they'll win the rest of their games, even if they don't have a good pass game. Who stood yeah. out defensively but, to you? I know my guys that I thought really stood out, but, I mean, who, who have you seen yeah. made strides, and who do you think really performed really well against South Dakota State for Montana State? Well, number one that stood out because he just the plays he made were such electric plays was Polidor. Yeah, I mean, Drew Polidor for sure. In the game. Oh, my God, yeah. He made some hits in the game. He had a sack. Um, I think he might have had another tackle for loss, but even, you know, I think he had a couple of hits where he didn't even, wasn't hitting the ball player, but I mean, he was active. He was quick, you know, he looked really good. Um, he looked good. The other guy that looked good was, uh, I thought Callahan O'Reilly looked really good. McCade I mean, O'Reilly, yeah, Callahan's little brother, yeah. Or McCade, sorry. <laughs> yeah, McCade O'Reilly. I thought he looked good in the first game, but I was, you know, kind of holding my breath a little bit to see what he looked like in this one. And I mean, against a good team, I thought he played really well. Uh, Rylan Ort played really well. Um, uh, Simeon Woodard played good. Oh, uh, John Johnson, I thought, played great. Again, I thought he played really well against Utah Tech. Um, those are the guys that stood out the most to me. Um, you know, along the defensive line, it was just like, I don't know, I didn't, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, they were obviously holding their own and doing well, but, I mean, nobody, like, jumped off the page, you know, which is hard to do on the defensive line. Defensive ends once in a while will get going crazy, but – but for the most part, yeah, those guys, uh, you know. But number one, I thought was Polidor, and I mean, which is a big boost if he's if he's going to play like that. And you already got Ort back there, and you got a good group of linebackers, and you got a good, you know, a couple good cornerbacks. I mean, they were without Miles Jackson and uh, uh, the other cor- one of the other corners was out also. So 
anyhow, um, yeah, I, I thought, you know, John Johnson was, uh, uh, you know, was really tough against Utah Tech, made a couple of really good plays in that game. And then, again, in this game, he played really well. So, Yeah, the uh, the, the Bobcat defensive line, especially the headliners, Sebastian Valdez and Brody Greeby, they're sort of going through what a lot of groups like that go through where – People know their names now. They know who they are. They know they know that they can't let those guys beat them. So I mean, I was watching Seabass a lot, which I always do because I just think he's so funny to watch because he's just so strong. But they were, I mean, they were doing a lot of stuff pre-snap to to sort of try to confuse both him and Greeby, and they were also you know putting a lot of bodies on those guys, extra blockers. So yeah, that's something they can work through, and uh, that's something they're going to have to work through now that they're upperclassmen that everybody knows about. I agree with you. I thought Makeda Riley is great. I mean, he plays with his hair on fire. He's certainly not scared. He's got that that same sort of uh, quiet confidence that his that his older brother had. Those guys are just tough as nails, man. You can just tell they were just raised like that. And uh, I agree with you on Polidor too. I knew Polidor was going to be an upgrade at free safety because of his ball skills, but I didn't know if he could hit. He can definitely hit, and he's not scared to hit. And I think that's a a new element. You know, Montana State has had some pretty great sort of center field type free safeties. The last handful of years, you know, Jacque Allen uh, and then Jeffrey Manning. But either one of those – I mean, Jacque Allen had a legendary hit in the Cat-Grizz games. You can't take anything away from him there. But either one of those guys you'd say were really big thumpers, you know, in the run game or, or bringing pressure yeah. from that free safety spot. But but Polidor showed at least for the first couple of games this year that he totally can. And I also agree with you. I think John Johnson's really good on the outside. I think he's uh, another fearless guy, a lot of confidence, and I think he's a good bookend to Simeon Woodard. Um, all right, the top super here on the Big Sky Breakdowns presented by Opportunity Bank, your local bank, your opportunity. Um, what are the biggest pieces of improvement you want to see? I mean, that's what's so funny about this schedule is you had Cupcake, Juggernaut, Cupcake, and then you got another team in Weber State coming up in two weeks that I think is the surprise of the Big Sky right now. Weber's I thought was going to be good, but uh, they have been really good. They looked great last week against Northern Iowa. That was one of the biggest wins of the week by a Big Sky team. So, I mean, what are, the, what are the things you think Montana State needs to shore up? I don't know how much we're going to learn, if anything, besides, you know, how many backups can they play against Stetson. But just broadly, I mean, to, to get back on track and, and make the run you think you can make, what what are the things you want to see out of Montana State moving forward? Uh, well, yeah, defense, you know, eliminate the big plays. I mean, they did that all game long, the first half especially. First play of the second half, they gave up 26 yards on the first play. I think the next play was – you know, another 10 or 15, the next play is another 10 or 15, and then uh, Gronowski runs it in for 20 yards for a touchdown. Then the next time they get the ball, they didn't have a lot of big plays, but they drove 95 yards for a touchdown, and I'm just kind of going, uh-oh, you know. All that, you know, positive from the first half is going to go away. South Dakota State's going to score on every drive in the second half, you know. It's just like, oh, well, you know, but uh, – but I thought, like, the really cool thing, the thing the, I think maybe the number one thing going into the season was MSU's, the defense's ability to respond to adversity, okay? And they were in an adverse situation. They went from 10-0 up to 13-10 down and looking like the wheels were going to fall off. And they come up with two three-and-outs. And not only were they three-and-outs, but they gave up, I think, one yard on one drive and negative one yard on the other one. So they gave up zero yards in six plays in the clutch. You know, they get that stop and or those two stops. And the next thing you know, even though the drives, the, the offense wasn't very productive, they got six points and had the lead back now with what, two and a half minutes to go in the game or something like that. If that long, I can't even remember, but you know, and then they give up two huge plays and you know, and I can't, I mean, I can't fault them too much there. Um, you know, I thought Caden Dowler had pretty good coverage on the first play. And uh, Gronowski's just, I mean, he's a stud. That's what I was talking about when we were first talking about the show. The, you know, there was some sloppy plays, but there was also some A-plus level plays in the game, and that was one of them. Gronowski's pass was perfect in a huge clutch situation for them. He nails that guy, and the next thing you know, all right, right away they're close to field goal range. And then the next play, uh, uh, MSU, I think I heard they were a little bit uh, – you know, not in the right alignment or something, but anyhow, they, uh, they run that play and boom, it's a touchdown and they're, you know, down just like that after, you know, all that work they did. And, and I think they were holding, uh, they were holding South Dakota state to, I think it was like 4.7 yards per play in the game up until then. And those two plays put it up to 6.4, <laughs> which was, you know, just kind of, kind of weird, but 
yeah, eliminate those big plays on defense. On offense, you know, find something simple in the pass game. And I think Marty Mordenweg was saying during the Cat Grizz game last year, he's like, you know, hey, first off, Tommy Malott's a, you know, he's a good passer. I think he had yeah. him in some clinic of his. And he said he can pass the ball. He's a very good passer. And, uh, and he said MSU, to get to the next level, needs to be able to do that. You know, they need to be able to pass the ball. And if you look at the games, the big games that MSU's won, when they beat South Dakota State, Malott was 10 for 15 for 233 yards on 15 passes. I mean, that's an effective pass game. And they won that game because of that. He threw for two touchdowns. And uh, that's how MSU, you know, they looked great. You know, they looked like a great team that day. And they went into the, you know, two weeks earlier after they lost to the Grizzlies, they looked like a one-and-done or two-and-done team in the playoffs. And they start having these games like this. And they go into the North Dakota State game with Malad at quarterback. And I was, like, thinking they could win this game, you know. Obviously, he got hurt. But, but uh you know, I think that's just a glaring example, that game and the Sam Houston game, um, you know, and they show they can pass like uh, the Northern Colorado game last year. They threw the ball a little bit more than usual, and it was very effective. I mean, I know it's just Northern Colorado, but it was on the road. And, uh, yeah, I just – I think it's there. They just got to, you know, go do it. You know, do it in a game. And that's why I was saying this game, go out and pass the ball 50 times. I know this isn't going to happen, but they should fair catch – Every kickoff, right. <laughs> every punt, just down it. Don't run it in for a touchdown because if you do, then the defense is back on the field and you don't get to run any plays, you know. So I'd, I'd be like, on the kickoff, catch it in the end zone, run it out to the 10 and down it, you know. Get the offense out there and pass every down. But, but I, I mean, that's how, uh, you know, I'm, I'm having a little bit of hyperbolic here. But, I mean, that's just uh, what I th- – you think on offense they need to do more than anything is just go out and pass the ball a lot until you got a live scrimmage here, you know, a game that's like a scrimmage, just go out and do that. And, you know, maybe it can carry over, but, but those are the two things. <laughs> ton still to learn uh, and a ton still for us to communicate to all you guys. So I appreciate you listening to the big sky breakdown and uh, we'll keep on studying it. We'll keep on covering it. So please keep on reading. Please keep on listening. Tom Stuber, contributing writer and uh, contributing podcaster now here at SkylineSportsMT.com. Uh, appreciate it, man. We'll uh, we'll catch up with you next week, but thanks so much for being here. Oh, I appreciate it too. Thanks for having me on. There's a lot of things that make Montana great, from the mountains and lakes to some of the finest towns in the West. But what really makes this place special is you. Our communities are full of people who are working hard to build good lives and remarkable things. At Opportunity Bank, our passion is helping folks do just that. Together, we can make a good thing even better. Opportunity Bank of Montana. Stop by and see us or visit us online. Member FDIC.